Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, who were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but sons. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is God's word. So we're in Galatians 4. And remember, guys, we were in this back in November. I don't know if you remember. It was a long time ago. But back in November, we were in chapter 3 of Galatians. We're in a series called uh, Finally Free because we believe that the gospel is a message of freedom. This morning, we're going to be looking at a very particular gift of the gospel, and that's the gift of adoption. When God saved us, he doesn't just make us right with him legally. He doesn't just take away his wrath for us. He actually adopts us. And adoption, guys, is the greatest gift of the gospel. And Paul wrote the letter of Galatians to some people who were being cheated out of that gift. Paul had come and he'd given them the message of the gospel. Um, he, had, he had preached that to the churches in Galatia. He'd established some churches. He leaves. He goes to preach the gospel in other areas. And then some other missionaries came in. Some legalistic guys came in down from Jerusalem. And they started saying that Paul was not giving the full message. They were pointing them to look to their own works, to their own law-keeping to be acceptable before God. And so Paul writes this letter very urgently, and we'll see that next week. He's got real urgency in his tone um, to correct what these false teachers had said. You know, these false teachers kind of give a sense of, yeah, you're saved by grace and all that, but if you really want to be a complete Christian, if you really want to be accepted by God, if you really want to be a member of God's family, if you really want real security, then you've got to keep the Jewish laws. Because, yeah, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and if you're going to have him as your Messiah, you need to become a little more Jewish. You need to keep the Mosaic Covenant. You need to be circumcised. There's certain things that you need to do. What we call that, guys, is we call that legalism. And legalism is a term that's thrown around like crazy right now in all different ways and ways that are very inappropriate. But legalism basically is this, that it's what Jesus did plus something I add equals salvation or equals acceptance with God. It's adding anything to the finished work of Christ is legalism. It's something we do to try and complete the relationship. And so Paul writes this to combat that because these people are being robbed of something. They're being robbed of that sense of security and love of adoption in Christ. And, um, and he, he goes on to show in chapter 3, shows that the law was for a purpose to show us that we need Christ. The law was never meant to be a ladder to climb our way to God. It was always meant to be a mirror to see our sin and to show us our need for Christ. And he says that in Galatians 3.24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The law was to prepare us to a place where we knew we needed Christ and could be adopted by God. He says in verse 1 of chapter 4, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave, though he is owner of everything. And he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also were children enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. These false teachers were directing the Galatians to misuse the law. 
to tell them that the law was a ladder to make your way up to God instead of saying that the law is a mirror to show you your need for Christ. And they were cheating them out of what they had, what they rightfully should have in the gospel. And we can cheat ourselves too, right? We don't actually need false teachers to come to town and, and point us to looking to our own law-keeping to feel acceptable for God, do we? We have a natural impulse to want to look to our own law-keeping, our own goodness, to give us a sense of security with God. That's something that's within every one of us. We all have that legalistic that drive in us. And this morning in Galatians 4, I believe what God wants to do is he wants to show every one of you here that are Christians, every one of you that are trusting in Christ, every one of you that are sons and daughters of God, he wants to show you that you're loved, you're wanted, and you're enjoyed by God your Father. And that's something that not all Christians actually feel. This is something that's needed. As I was preparing for this and stuff like that, it's very easy to lose sight of adoption because it's so hard to believe. It's the greatest gift of the gospel, and it's so easy to forget it. I believe there's lots of people that sit in chairs like you're sitting in um, their whole lives in church and don't ever really get a sense for that God's adopted them, that they are God's beloved child. And so, you know, in some way, this gospel message that it's all grace and that you've been fully accepted as Christ's been accepted, it just doesn't click, you know? It's like, you know, you put some quarters in a vending machine, and, and you go to, like, push the button for whatever drink you wanted or whatever, and, and nothing happens. You don't hear the click. You put in the change. Some of them clicked, and the last one didn't click, and you're like, oh, this is a problem. So you, like, bang on the machine and stuff like that, right? But it doesn't click, and that happens for a lot of people. A lot of people, and don't, don't assume it's not you, you know? And I'm not saying that you're not a Christian. I'm just saying, are you enjoying the full... Um, enjoyment of the grace of God? Are you really enjoying being adopted by God? Do you really feel it? Maybe it hasn't clicked. For a lot of people, it hasn't clicked. And, you know, maybe the solution is I come to each chair, and like that vending machine, I shake you and tell you, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. And shake each one of you until it clicks. I don't know what the solution is. And as I was looking at this stuff, I know there's parts in this message where I go like, they're not going to get this. Like, it's good, and I feel like, ah, you're going to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, it's bigger than that, right? And so I'd like to pray before we start here. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that your word, the gospel, the gospel of adoption would ring so true in our hearts this morning, Lord. I feel like there's a very strong urgency for this, Lord. Help it to click for those who are in Christ. Help it for those who aren't in Christ that they would know and they would flood to you. They would run to you. They would trust in you. We pray that you would save among us and that you would give great assurance in Jesus' name. Amen. And so um, that's the problem, you know? The problem is, like he talks about in verse 7, you can feel like a slave instead of a son. You can feel like a slave instead of a daughter. Um, And I say that we want to have enjoyment and power of knowing that because the reason I say power is that believing yourself to be a true son or daughter of God will change how you deal with sin. It will. Hugely. I mean, test yourself. Who would want to please God more? Somebody that sees themselves as a slave and God as a master, or somebody that sees God as their father and them as a son or daughter? Who wants to please more? The son, right? Or the daughter wants to please more. William Cooper lived in the 1700s. He was a hymn writer. He said this, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. That's what I've been praying for. I've been praying for that we would go from thinking of ourselves as slaves to children and that our duty would turn to choice, that we would want to live for him. It will change the way that you relate to God. It will change the way you relate to other people. 
Check yourself on this before we start. How do you think God feels about you in general? Complete this sentence. I think he's blank. And I'll give you a few options. I think a lot of Christians, when I've asked them that, they say, well, I think he's annoyed with me. Right? I think he's angry with me. I think he must be frustrated with me. Right? And those of us are parents and stuff. Right? I think he tolerates me. I think he's disappointed with me. Are you tempted to think any of those things? Versus this, I think he enjoys me. I think he hears me. Remember, Jesus said, the Father always hears me. I know you always hear me. He hears me. I think he wants me. I think he seeks me. I think he treasures me. First ones are how you feel if you are feeling like a slave. The second one is how you feel if you're feeling like a son or a daughter. And guys, that changes Christians from the inside out. That's how we change. Um, I'll just let you in on something. When I'm up here and I give God's commands and I say, hey, you should really do these and give you motivations, there's a bunch of different ways I could motivate you. I could motivate you from fear. I could motivate you from guilt. I could motivate you from self-righteousness. I could motivate you from superiority. And you guys have all been manipulated in that way at some point in your church life. I'm sure of it. You know, um, I could say this way. Hey, you know, you should love your wife. And the reason you should love your wife is, you know, don't be like your neighbor, that guy who doesn't know the Lord. You know, it's kind of a slime ball. Like, you're better than that. You're a Christian. What am I doing? Superiority, right? That works, by the way. It works really well. Um, for a time. It doesn't change you from the inside out, though, because what it does is it hotwires sin to empower your change. You can actually fight one sin empowered by another sin. You can actually fight an external sin empowered by pride and, and self-righteousness and superiority. It's easy to do. Guys, my promise to you is to motivate you by the gospel, that it's, it, it's that it's that tick of joy, it's that spark of joy that you get when you hear what Christ has done for you, that's what's supposed to motivate you. It's supposed to be motivated by a love for your Father because of what he's done for you in Christ, not through these other means. And so that's what we want to do this morning. So we're going to talk about adoption, and adoption starts with the Father. Kind of makes sense, right, that adoption would start with the Father. Starts with God the Father. Starts with God the Father, and you know, you've heard these people that have adopted kids, they'll kind of come up with their adoption story, and they'll write it up and stuff. Your adoption story actually starts before the world was made. Do you realize that? Take a look at Ephesians. It's only one book over. It won't stress your fingers to do this. Ephesians 1, 3 says this. Check this out. Blessed be the God and Father. So we're talking about the Father, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then listen to this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. And then listen to this line. In love, he predestined us for what? Adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the will, to his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. So if you were to make a kind of a timeline of this, timeline goes like this. You've got like a BC, and you've got AD, and you've got like eternity past, right? I'll just do the infinity symbol right there. And so what happened was the father in particular, chose to adopt you. And that's Ephesians 1, I think 5 it is. Before he created the world. That's what that passage says. And it's really common in our culture, guys, to think like everybody's a child of God. You kind of hear that stuff, right? Oh, everybody's a child of God. And I know what they mean. They mean that everybody's made in God's image and everybody's valuable, and that's true, okay? But it's not true that we're all children of God. We don't start off that way. Do you know how I know? Because he calls us adoption, Okay, so that's pretty straightforward, right? So we didn't start off as his child, right? 
We don't start off as his child. It, it isn't by our physical birth, you know. If you think about yourself, you know, a little later here, and you're born, you're not a child of God then. You're a child of God later by a spiritual birth, later in your life, right? It's by adoption later. And, and don't think when you think about adoption, we kind of think of like, don't think of an orphanage full of beautiful, friendly, thankful children, okay, that God had to pick from. That is not his selection. Okay? When he chose to adopt people, he didn't have a selection of beautiful, friendly, thankful children, did he? Were you beautiful, friendly, and thankful? No, of course you weren't. You know, actually, Ephesians talks about, too, talks about the, the ones he had to choose from, children of wrath and sons of disobedience. Okay, so that's freaky, because if you guys were going to go adopt a child, and you go to this, you know, home for children and stuff, and it says, home of children of disobedience and children of wrath, you'd be like, is there another place we could go to, like, maybe make a selection, right? But that's all God had to choose from. He had to choose from sinners, right? And, um, and so you could imagine, like, if you were to go into the home for the children of wrath and sons of disobedience to make a selection, you could be like, hey, what about this one? And the person walking you through would go like, well, you know, problem with him is uh, he bites a lot. He draws blood. Oh, what about this one over here? Um, she destroys things with fire. Oh, okay, well, what about this one? Well, he obviously doesn't like you, right? Those are the choices that God had to make, right? And so this is all by grace. And we also shouldn't think of this adoption as it was in the Roman times. Because in the Roman times, it's really interesting, you didn't adopt infants. If a person was a, a, a man who didn't have any children, and he wanted somebody to get his inheritance and take on his name, he'd find an adult man to adopt, usually a servant, a slave. It was somebody that was an adult or close to adulthood that was clearly worthy to carry on his name. You don't want to take any chances, right? So you find one, someone that's clearly worthy to take on your name. That's not what we have here, right? We were not clearly worthy to take on his name. His selection of us, his adopting us, his desire to adopt us before he made the world was completely by grace, guys. And you could say, well, why did he do it then? You know, Knowing all that he would know that I would do and, and how I would not even be that thankful and, and, and not even that obedient, why would he adopt me? You ever wonder that? Why would he choose me? You know what the answer is? I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea for myself. I have no idea for you, and I like you. I have no idea. You know, when Israel was asking the same question, they asked, like, why us? Why our little nation? Why would God choose our nation amongst all of them? Moses said this in Deuteronomy 7, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of all people. He's like, don't get the idea that you were, you know, like he went, well, well there's a nation, like I'll take that one. No. He says you were the, so why did he love him? Why did he choose him? Listen to this. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to his fathers. It's a weird answer, guys. It says the Lord, why did the Lord set his love on you and choose you? Because he loved you. Wait, that doesn't make sense. Why did he love me? Why did he adopt me? Because he loved you. Like, that doesn't make sense, but how wonderfully comforting that is, too. Because his love comes from within him. All of our loves kind of mix. Some of it, we have, like, real genuine love. A lot of our love is just a response to the loveliness of a person or, you know, the benefit they are to us. God's love is not like that. It wells up from deep within him. He says, I love you because I love you. That's security, guys. I can't mess that up. That's love that just comes from him. 
And so Ephesians 1 says that this unexplainable love came specifically from the Father. He set his affection on us. I think this is important because a lot of times we'll think about the cross of like, God the Father's an angry judge. Jesus goes, no, no, don't punish them. I'll take care of it. He goes, all right, you know. That's not the way it is. It's the Father's idea. We see that in Ephesians 1. John Owen said this, and John Owen, his book, Communion with God, is awesome. And the dude had hair, like nobody's business, right? 1600s, very nice. And maybe a wig, I'm not sure. Um, but he said this, let us see the Father, he's speaking to Christians, let us see the Father as one who from all eternity has had kind thoughts toward us. Let us remember how eager and willing he is to accept us. If we did this, we would not be able to bear one hour's absence from him. We should think of him as the source of salvation, the beginning of the plan. And it is true that at some point in our lives right here, that we were under God's wrath before we came to Christ. But even at that time, that is not the way the Father wanted it, and that's not the way he left it. Praise God, huh? It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, so if you're a Christian today, it's because in an eternity past, God the Father chose to adopt you, and that adoption involves the whole trinity. Take a look at it. In verse 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, and then verse 6 says God sends his spirit. So what you're going to find here is that within the Trinity, each person was involved in your salvation. Father comes up with the plan. Jesus is sent in. The spirit sent in later, all to secure your adoption. Because God, the God, guys, the God of the Bible, the one who's always existed, exists as one God, three persons. He's actually a community of persons. God has lived in this uh, relationship of three persons from all eternity. And it's a really amazing thing because each person of the Trinity centers their whole life, their whole affection on the other two. And so each one uh, loving and serving and enjoying the other, centering their life on each other. Uh, it's called, uh, in, in the early church fathers called it the paracorsis which means rotation. It was this idea of each person of the Trinity rotates around the other one. Each person of the Trinity is, is loving and enjoying the others. And that word uh, choruses is, you know, from choreography. We get that word for choreography from that. It's the idea of a dance. You know, that there's this relationship that's existed from all eternity of love and joy. And um, it's really cool. There was a, um, a professor at USC. He was a um, philosophy professor. And he was asked, what was God doing before he created the world? And I love his answer. He said this, he was enjoying themselves. I love that. He was enjoying themselves. It's bad grammar, but it's great theology that within the one God, three persons, and he was enjoying themselves. So good. And what he wanted for us when he created us, it was for us to join in that relationship, to join in that relationship they already had. We see that in Genesis uh, 1 through 2, is that he created people in his image that could enjoy him, that could join in in that relationship of love. But unfortunately, we see in Genesis 3 and on that just like Adam and Eve and just like the prodigal son, we've not wanted that. For some crazy reason, we have spurned the Father's love. We've wanted to go off in a far country. We've wanted to you know, live life without his interference, and that's sin. And God, though, responds. Look at verse 4. It says, but. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is so cool, guys, because in the gospel, what we see is all three persons of the Trinity 
bringing us into relationship with them, bringing us into the dance, the life of love that they have at great cost to themselves. And so we already saw in eternity past the Father choosing to do this, planning the cross, planning all the ways of our redemption. And then at just the right time, this passage says, at the fullness of time, he sent forth his Son. And so the Son comes in right about here, actually slightly before A.D. I know that's weird. Um, he sent his Son. He sent his Son in. And he sent his son in, in the fullness of time. You know, what does that mean that he came in the fullness of time? There's a few ways you can look at it. He came in the fullness of time of Israel's history. You realize that all of the Old Testament, all of Israel's history is, to set, is the father setting a stage for his son to show up. It's so amazing. All these things that point forward to him. Um, there's a book called Jesus on Every Page. I'd highly recommend it by Murray. And he shows how all the people and events and things point forward to Jesus. Think about things like the temple and sacrifices and priests and judges and kings. All these things, the prophets, the psalms, the festivals they had were all the point forward to Jesus to give us categories to understand who Christ is. So in the fullness of time he comes. And so right after the book of Malachi is finished, you got a little over 400 years of silence, which I think is really cool and dramatic, right? Is he's going to send his son and he just goes silent for 400 years. And then what? And then there's a voice crying out in the wilderness Make way, a path for the Lord. John the Baptist is that first voice that calls out. And then Jesus comes in the fullness of time. Isn't that awesome? He also came in the fullness of time because it was a time of great messianic expectation. Everybody's looking for the Messiah at that time. It was the fullness of time. It was the fullness of time because the Romans had perfected a means of killing that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Crucifixion. It was in the fullness of time. It was in the fullness of time because there was a country, Rome, that had Roman peace and had a way to spread this message throughout Roman roads that were out there, a common language was the fullness of time, right? It says that he was born of a woman, that the eternal Son of God took on humanity, and he didn't trade his deity for humanity, he took it on and added it, right? Became born of a woman. It says here that he was born under the law. This is really cool. He was born under the law. You know, we were made to be sons and daughters of God. God's law is an obstacle to our adoption. You know, some adoptions are very expensive. Our adoption is very expensive because of our sin. Um, that there's a great cost to be paid. Jesus was born under the law, that the Son of God, this is crazy, guys, but the Son of God actually put himself under the law that, we had, that was designed for us. Here's God, comes in the flesh, and he goes, you know what, I'll live under that law that you were supposed to live under but didn't. And what he does is he, he lives under the law in such a way that he fulfills all the obligations of the law for us. He does all the things we didn't do. Isn't that amazing? And it says he redeemed those who are under the law. This image of redemption is really cool because this image of redemption is the image of a slave market. In the first century, they would have sold slaves. And those slaves would have been sold in, in markets. And this word redemption is the, the price to pay to get a slave out of slavery. It's, it's a cost to be paid. Our salvation had to be paid for. Our law keeping had to be done. We're always saved by the law. We're always saved by law keeping, but not our keeping of it, Christ keeping of it. So he comes, he keeps the law, he pays for it with his righteousness and his shed blood and gets us out. The, the demands of the law completely satisfied. See how helpful this would have been to the Galatians? These guys come to town and they're like, well, you need to do this, this, and this. And he's like, no, Jesus actually fulfilled. He lived under the law and he fulfilled all these things for me. And guys, in and of itself, redemption would be plenty, wouldn't it? 
Couldn't you just praise God for the rest of eternity for redeeming you, for coming in, living the law for you, saving you from judgment, right? You can praise him forever for that. But he does more. Check this out. He does more. Take a look at verse 5. Verse 5 doesn't end there. He says, to redeem those who are under the law. What's the next part? So that we might receive adoption as sons. That is the coolest thing ever. He doesn't just stop with redemption. Redemption's about getting adoption. And that's what I don't want you guys to miss this morning is that all these things that God does through the cross are for the purpose of adoption. And I want you to miss the big point. Big point is that we get God, right? Our adoption's costly. Our adoption is the greatest gift of the gospel. Remember when we did Good Friday and we are talking about propitiation? Propitiation is our sins put us under God's wrath. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for us and gave us peace with God. Propitiation. That's an awesome gift. How many of you guys are thankful for that? That's amazing, right? You could praise God forever for that and not be adopted and be completely happy, right? It's like, that's amazing. That's amazing you do that. Like, that seems like plenty, right? But he does more. Um, We talked about before justification. Justification is the idea of a courtroom and that we're guilty before the judge, right? And we're liable to judgment. But then Jesus is our righteousness and he takes our place so that the judge actually throws down his gavel and says, that you're not only sinless, but you're righteous because you're in Christ. He declares you righteous. That's an amazing gift, guys, right? If he'd only do that and didn't adopt us, we'd have reason to praise God for the rest of eternity, right? We would, right? It's amazing, right? But it doesn't stop there. And it doesn't stop with redemption either. It's so that. It's so that you would be adopted. That's the greatest gift. He's given us something way more than just salvation in the sense of forgiveness and not going to hell and things like that. There's more to it than that. It's that, but there's more. You're adopted. And in adoption, you get God as your own father. That's what makes the gospel good news is that you get God. Gospel isn't just about you don't have to go to hell and you can go to heaven and, you know, you don't, you get a resurrected body and all that. It's about all that. It's about he's going to remake the world. But it's about something bigger. It's about you get God as your own father. All these other things are just to get the obstacles out of the way of the ultimate purpose is that you get him as father. And it says here that you get adopted as sons. You guys ever struggle with that? That he uses sons instead of sons and daughters? Yes. Oh, no, no. Okay. So that's not her problem. Okay. I'll take that as my problem. Um, but, uh, but you ever struggle with that? Like, why doesn't it say sons and daughters? And some translations do, but they shouldn't in this passage, okay? Um, when you read through the epistles, a lot of times it'll say brothers, and it's uh, the word adelphoi in the Greek, and it's brothers and sisters. And so you could totally translate brothers and sisters, and you should. This word, though, actually just means sons. And you're like, why is that? That's weird. Because Paul's really clear that both men and women have equal inheritance in Christ. You see that in Galatians 3.28. You know, that there's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ. So why does he say sons and not sons and daughters here? Because he's clearly saying sons. Why does he say that? He says that because both men and women, both boys and girls who trust in Christ are called sons. Because when you get adopted, and I want to make sure you really get this. When you get adopted, you get Jesus' actual relationship with the Father. And he's a son, not a daughter. Okay? You're getting Jesus' actual relationship with the Father. It's not like when you came to Christ that you got a child-father relationship with the Father that's kind of like Jesus's. Work on it. You know, with some time, maybe you could get like Jesus' relationship. Maybe you could have that kind of closeness. No. You actually get Jesus' very relationship. That's why he calls us all sons, because he's a son. He gives us his sonship. Jesus gave you his very relationship with the Father. In adoption, Jesus gave you his place in the family. 
okay? You're not just like, you know, the kid at the very far end of the table or you're at the little kid table or something like that. He gave you his very place at the table, right? He gave you all of his rights and access to God. Hebrews talks about coming boldly to the throne of grace. We come boldly when we pray. Tim Keller says there's only one person that can wake a king up at 3 a.m. and ask for a glass of water. You know who it is? There is kid, right? Everybody else dies, right? We can come, guys, boldly because we have Jesus' actual relationship with the Father. He gives us that. He gives us his place at the Father's side. He gives us the embrace he deserves from the Father. He gives us his belonging. He gives us his Father's affections for him, right? You get Jesus's, the affections that Jesus deserves from his Father. You get the direct access that he has to his Father's affection. You get the Father's constant attention that's due Jesus. Remember when Jesus was praying and he said to his Father, he goes, I know that you always hear me, right? He has that confidence, right? I know you always hear me. I'm just saying this for these people so they can hear what I'm praying. I know you always hear me. That's the kind of thing you have when you have Jesus' relationship with the Father. You have that access. The good news, guys, is that God the Father gives you all the love that comes from being his treasured only son. And there's indication of that even in this text where it moves from the plural to the singular, is that he treats you as if you are his only beloved son. So that's actually better than saying sons and daughters, right? Because you see it's his relationship. Um, And you might ask yourself, how can I have this? You know, how can I have this kind of relationship with the Father? And John answers that in John 1.12. Check this out. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, so it's not natural birth, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is something that, yeah, this is something that God does. It's the new birth. It's regeneration. And it's something that... Um, the sign of that, the, the way you can know you're adopted is, have you received Christ? Have you trusted in him? This is an amazing gift, guys. This is an incredible gift. This is the greatest gift in the universe. This is the greatest gift that will ever be. This is like the purpose for which the universe was created, by the way, not to overstate it, okay? <laughs> like, the, I know, that sounds like there's got to be overstatement. It's not, okay? This is the purpose for which God created the world, was to do adoption and to receive the glory and give us the joy of adoption. That's why he did this all. I don't want you to miss not only the purpose for which you were created, but the purpose for which the universe was created. That would be a major loss for you. Okay? I just can't even like say it more strongly than that. It would be a major loss for you if you missed the whole purpose you were created and the whole purpose the universe was created. You say, well, you know, I had a lot of fun. Okay? No, you missed the whole point of the universe, okay? Don't do that. It's by trusting in Christ. If you trust in Christ, guys, you can know for a fact that you're adopted by him. And you actually have the love that the father feels for his son, he feels for you. You have that affection. And you know what's amazing on top of that? I know I kind of already used amazing. Is this. The other amazing thing is is that not only does the father feel the affection he feels for the son for you, But this text also says you could feel the affection the Son has for the Father in your own heart. Isn't that crazy? That's why he sent the Spirit. Check this out. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God sent his Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is really cool. And so this is where, you know, the the Spirit comes in, right? He He sent the Son into the world. He sent the Spirit into your heart. 
And so at that point, when you come to trust in Christ, you can know that the Spirit has come within you. And you can see the Trinity at work here, right? The Father, this is all his plan. The Son comes in to, to, to redeem us and give us the ability to even be adopted, take those obstacles out of the way. And then at some point in your life, he lets you kind of run away for a while here maybe. And I don't know how long you ran, but you ran for a while. And then what happens is the Father says to the Spirit, get him. Right? The Father says to the Spirit at just the right time in your life, get her. And he does. And you guys who have come to Christ know it. And it's weird. It's weird because you had a totally different way of looking at life before. And then you're like thinking the complete opposite. Everything you live for is different. It kind of weirds you out, right? You think like, I didn't give him, you know, I didn't give him permission to change my whole mind and heart. Like this is kind of spooky and it's spooky for other people in your life. They're like, you've changed, you know, because what's happened? The Holy Spirit has come within you. The Holy Spirit has come within you to give you that spiritual birth. And it says in verse 6 that it's into your heart. And, and, and we call that regeneration or new birth. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes into a spiritually dead heart. Crusty dead hearts never beat before. The Holy Spirit comes in and all of a sudden it beats for God. And you know when it beats for God? You know what it says? Abba, Father. That's the thing it says. That's the cry it has when it's born. It says, it, the heart says, Abba, Father. You see that in verse 6. He sends his Spirit into our hearts. And it's just amazing, guys, because what's happening here is the Son, the Father sent the Son to give you the right to be a son or daughter of God. What the Spirit does is gives you the feelings of one. Isn't that cool? Gives you the feelings of one. Um, who is this Spirit of the Son? It's important to talk about. Who's the Holy Spirit? One thing that's really important about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is a person. Okay? And I know it's kind of tricky because Father, that sounds like a person. Son sounds like a person. Spirit sounds like an it. Holy Spirit is not an it. Holy Spirit's a person. It's like, chills, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard when I hear it. Sorry. But I do have some OCD things, and that's one of them. But um, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. He's a he. He's not a force. He's not a power, and we don't use him. <laughs> I, think we, I hear this language, and I, I know I hate to, you know, now you're going to be scared to talk to me. But... <laughs> When people say, well, you need to use the Spirit to change, and we don't use them any more than we use the Son. We don't use God, okay? God, we, God can use us. <laughs> we don't use God. So we don't use him. He's not a force. He's not a power. He is a person. He's a person like the Father and the Son. And he is a divine person. He is God himself within you. It's so cool, guys, because when you first came to believe for in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes within you, and he, and he comes to live in your heart. And what he does is he connects you with Christ. We call that union with Christ. He connects you with Christ so that Christ's life can actually flow into your life. The Christian life is about abiding in him such that Christ's life flows through you. It's not about trying really hard to act like Jesus. It's about trying to get so close to Jesus through the power of the Spirit that his life flows through us. It's his life flowing through us. And what this text shows us is that not only are these major life things happen through that, but we feel differently about God because of that. That's the cool thing. He says that the Holy Spirit causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. The Father wants you to have, not just that he would have the feelings he has for the Son, but that you would have the Son's feelings that he has for the Father. That's what this is about. Christ, Abba, Father. What's really interesting about this is that word Abba is not Greek. Not a Greek word. And this is written in Greek, right? This is written to Gentiles mostly, some Jews mostly, Gentiles, and it's written in Greek, and he throws an, an Aramaic word in there. Why do you think he does that? Why would he use Abba all of a sudden? might have been real jarring to the original readers. Do you know why? 
Because that's what the son calls the father, right? That's what he calls his dad. He calls him Abba. We see that in the Gospels. He calls him Abba. And so we call him Abba because that's the son through the spirit speaking through our hearts. Isn't that amazing? That's just such an amazing thing because you can really struggle with like, I know I have this status with the father, but how do I reciprocate? I reciprocate through the spirit. The spirit calls me to cry out, Abba, Father. It's awesome. So he doesn't translate it because he wants to stick out. And this word Abba was not normally used in the Judaism of this time anyway. It was actually very shocking when Jesus used it. It actually upset people that he talked about him as his own father. And it's so cool because this word, guys, it's a word that a baby can pronounce, right? Abba, right? It's like dada, right? This is a word that even a baby can pronounce. This is an intimate word. This is a family word, Abba. It doesn't take any skill to do that. As soon as we come to Christ, we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. And the Old Testament people, guys, they rarely had that kind of intimacy with God. They rarely had that kind of intimacy because they were saved the same way. You guys realize that, right? People in the Old Testament, they were saved by grace through Christ as they look forward to something the Messiah would do. And so their sins were almost like put on a credit card. Now, for you guys who are Dave Ramsey, that might freak you out. But uh, the sins of the Old Testament saints were like put on a credit card. And when Jesus came and died on the cross, he paid the balance, right? With interest, whatever, okay? But he paid it then. We look back. Our sins were paid for ahead of time. When we come to trust in Christ, our balance is removed. He already paid it, right? And so they were saved the same way, but they didn't know all the details you know. They didn't know that they were adopted, they didn't know exactly how Jesus was going to do it. They didn't, they didn't see all the details that you see. They don't know all the things you know. And so they didn't have the intimacy and freedom and, and security that you have. You have something they didn't have. You also have some, the spirit of the Son within you to cry out, Abba, Father. They didn't have that. You have advantages, guys, big advantages. And so if this morning the cry of your heart is, Abba, Father. Is that the cry of your heart this morning? Say, you know, think about your prayer life. Think about... You know, are all your prayers like, you know, oh, Lord Jehovah, creator of all things? Like, those are good, too. I'm not, I don't want to demean any type of prayer. All prayer. Let's do it all. But is there ever that time when you just pray, Abba, Father? Abba, Father, I don't know what to do. You know, I know you care for me. I know you always hear me. Abba. Do you cry to him, Abba? Dada? Abba? You should. And you know what, guys? If you do, I know one thing for sure. I know exactly where it came from. Nobody cries at Abba Father without it being the spirit of the Son within them. That is an assurance that you know him, that you see him as your own father through Christ. It's amazing. It's totally amazing. And so verse 7 says that we are no longer slaves but sons, and if sons, then we have an inheritance. And, and so what do we do with this? Every sermon's got to have application, right? Some sort of application. Here's my application for this. Believe it. Okay, like if you do that, like that would take care of a lot of application. Believe this, okay? Live into this. You have something the Old Testament saints didn't have. You have a experience of God's grace that you could live into that they don't experience. Live into it. Set a reminder. Somehow when you wake up in the morning, remind yourself, I am God's beloved son. I am God's beloved daughter. Think through all the things that Jesus, think through the confidence that Jesus had in his life about his relationship with the Father and realize that's all yours. You know, he always hears you, right? He always loves you. He adores you. You read John 17 and you see how much the Father loves the Son. He loves you like that. Because guys, adoption will kill legalism. It'll kill legalism. 
That's why Paul told them about it. You know, these people come to town and they go, well, you know, like, I know you're just trusting in Jesus, but if you do this and you do that, then God would really have you. And you know what they'd say after this? I'm the son of God. I'm the daughter of God. I don't need all this other stuff you're adding. Why would I need to be circumcised? Why would I need to keep kosher? Why would I need to do any of these things? I've already got sonship, right? It kills legalism. You're, you're going to be far less likely, far less tempted to look to your own law-keeping when you realize that God loved you before he created the world, chose to adopt you, sends his son to redeem you, and then at some point in your life sends his spirit into your heart to cry out, Abba, Father, are you kidding me? What were you going to add to that? You're like, yeah, but I'm tithing now. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, good. You know, like, that didn't add anything. Well, I, you saw me at the, that poor guy. Like, it doesn't relate, right? There's nothing to add to this. You're adopted. Stop it. You know? You're adopted. Enjoy it. It kills legalism. It also, because you're no longer a slave, you're a son. It also kills sin, guys. Right? It gives you a whole new desire to keep the law. Not just to, not for the purpose of earning, because there's nothing to earn. It's for the purpose of loving him back. You know, when we look at the, the New Testament commands, we see God's love languages. We see the way that God likes us to love him back. And we want to do that. We don't want to do that. It's not to earn. It's to love him back. Like William Cooper said, right? To see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child. That's the thing we need. Changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Then you're reading God's commands and you're thinking like, oop, that looks hard. But you're not thinking like, you're going to do it by duty, but you're going to do it like, Spirit, enable me to do this. Father, Abba, help me to do this. I want to do this because I love you so much. Like, who's going to be more loyal and who is going to serve more eagerly, a slave as master or a son as father? The answer is obvious, right? Especially a father like this. Why wouldn't we want to give our whole lives to a father like this? Is the world offering you something better? Is it? That's why we sin. Is the world offering you something better than adoption by God? Is that shady business practice offering you something better than adoption? Right? Is that pornography offering you something better than adoption? Is that, you know, temptation to adultery offering you something better than adoption? Is that freedom you're seeking from your family offering you something better than adoption? Is that, you know, those possessions, do they offer you something better than this? They don't, guys. They don't offer you something better than this. This is so much better than anything the world has to offer. Why don't we just open it up? What does the world have better to offer than this? Than adoption by God, than the things I described. Like, it's nothing. I can't think of it. Now, on Monday, I might have some things, okay? But I'm wrong then, okay? I'm wrong then. And I need to straighten out my mind and get back to sonship, right? That I am God's son. I want to read a passage for you about how sonship kills sin. And it's in 1 John 3, 1. Check this out. This is so good. You should turn there. Or scroll there. Or tap there. 1 John 3, 1. Check this out. This is super good. I, I totally won't wait for you. Okay. First, first, first John 3, 1 says this. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And listen to this. And so we are. I like that part, don't you? That's cool. The reason why the world does not know us is because it did not know him. I love that one too. You don't even know me because you don't know him. I love it. Beloved, we are children of God now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. He's talking about in the future, the resurrection. 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. And then how does it end? And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I'm God's beloved son. You're God's beloved daughter. Sin can't offer you anything better than this. Adoption kills sin. Guys, I just want to play with you before I close. I know there have been a lot of pleading, so this is it. Don't rest until you know and feel yourself as to be adopted by God. Do not give yourself rest until you know and feel you're adopted by God. This is the one thing you need for your life to change. This is the one thing. You think, oh, I got all these problems. There's one solution, and this is it. I promise you. 1 John 1.12 says, Any who receive the Son, he gives them the right to become children of God. And then once you're a child of God, remind yourself every day. When you pray, pray as God's son. Pray as God's daughter. When you face pain, face it as God's son. Face it as God's daughter. You see how that's different? When you go like, yeah, I'm in pain. My life's hard. You know, I'm dealing with, you know, bankruptcy. I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with health problems and stuff. But I'm God's son. It's different, right? I'm God's daughter. That's different. When you're tempted, remember that you're God's child right? When you sin, guys, come back as God's son, as God's daughter. He's not going to turn you away. Remember the prodigal son. He's eager to receive you back, right? When you see how far you fall short, remember it does not affect the fact that you are God's son. You are God's daughter. When you fear the future, this was just to me, when you fear the future, think about the future that you're going into as God's son, as God's daughter. He'll be there too. The rest of the things, guys, will take care of themselves. This is the one thing we need to get. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for adoption. And Lord, we pray that this would resonate with us, Lord, that this passage in Galatians 4 would become such a fabric of the part of our heart and that we'd lean into it and believe it and remind ourselves. Lord, remind us. Lord, we thank you for the spirit of the Son. We actually have the spirit of the Son within us to cry out to you, Abba, Father. Help us not to get in the way of that. You're doing something great in us, Lord. Help us to not get in the way of that. And we pray as we worship, as we take communion, we do it as your thankful, grateful children. We thank you that you have promised to make us more and more like the family likeness every day. And that one day we will be holy as you are holy. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. It's super fitting that we would end this by coming to the Lord's table here. And um, the table, guys, is a table. It's the Father's table, right? You've been invited to the Father's table. You got, the, you got Jesus' seat at the table. And it's a table that the Son has made possible. He made it possible by the bread, which symbolizes his broken body for you, and the cup, which represents his shed blood. And now as we take the bread and drink the cup, we remember not just the love of Jesus, and not just the love of the Father, the love of the Spirit, right? The love of the Trinity, welcoming you in. This eternal relationship within the one God has existed from ever for the, and, and desires to welcome you in. It's amazing, guys. You can cry out, Abba, Father. And I always want you to think about this. If you've trusted in Christ even just this morning that you've received Jesus, just this morning while I was talking, or if you received him a long time ago and you've got a long story about that, um, I want you to know as you come before the table, God wants you to know that he, he enjoys you. Hard to imagine, right? It's tricky. He enjoys you like he enjoys his son, Jesus. He hears you as you call out to him and your pain, your struggles. He wants you. 
He wants you. That's what it means, sonship. He seeks you and he treasures you, and it's all by grace. It's nothing that you did to earn it, and there's nothing you can do to mess it up. Let's worship him. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.